Okay, we're going to start a new book. So I was telling somebody, um, I started Calvary Chapel at Calvary Chapel View. I didn't start Calvary Chapel View. I started here July of 2009 in the book of Genesis on Wednesday night. It is almost 2020. Well, it's getting louder. Woo! It's almost 2020 and I'm on Jeremiah. So you guys could have read the whole Bible in a year ten times by the time it took me to get to Jeremiah on Wednesday nights. But hopefully we're learning things as we go. So we're going to start Jeremiah. And there's some, some background I, I think I want us to understand. Jeremiah and Josiah are close to the same age. Okay, I can't say absolutely the same within a few years of one another. Josiah is an interesting story. Josiah becomes king when he's eight years old. And uh, if you remember, David, David's probably the height of the nation of Israel spiritually. And then the decline starts. Okay, you with me? So David's king, man after God's own heart. Not perfect, right? He, he's, he screwed up. He sinned. But, but when he sinned, what did he do? He repented, right? And, and the Lord forgave him. He, he was able to acknowledge before the Lord. He could say to God, before you and you only have I sinned. So, Lord, forgive me. He had a broken and a contrite heart. God did forgive him, right? Then his son Solomon is the next king that comes on the scene. And Solomon, and when he's young, he says to the Lord, Oh, God, you know, I need you. So I, I need your wisdom to lead this people. And so God blesses him. God, God changes his name to Jedekiah. Uh, which means, uh, uh, I love the beloved one. God's saying, I love you. And, uh, and so Solomon in his reign breaks every rule, right? Three rules that God gave the children of Israel. Don't multiply gold because you'll start trusting your money. Don't multiply horses. You'll start trusting your horses. Don't multiply wives because they're going to make you, they're going to turn your heart away from me. And, you know, Solomon's young, and we know for certain that the first several marriages that he has are um, uh, treaties, right? In those days, if you made a treaty with uh, Egypt, what did you do? You took Pharaoh's daughter. And then that deal was, I won't attack you, you don't attack me, your grandkids are here, right? You guys get what I'm saying? So, But that just goes out of control, right? A thousand wives, maybe that's too many treaties that way? No? And we know for a fact that Solomon began to build temples to the gods of his wives. So he'd bring... What's the matter? Oh, my battery dying? <laughs> Wait. Yeah, she's going to... I'll have to pick that up. She's going to fall off the stage. Is that, is that any better? That's a new battery. No. Oh! Is that like that whistling noise? Okay. Okay, so we'll back up. Solomon, he's building temples for these wives. Okay, so, so he, he brings a, a, a wife and a treaty over from Egypt. She worship it, worships an Egyptian god, and he builds her a temple. And the site, you can still visit the place where the sites were, where Solomon built these temples in Jerusalem for his wives. And, and that becomes a source of confusion for the people, right? The spiritual decline follows the decline of Solomon. So Solomon starts well, but he doesn't end well, right? He starts uh, in a place beloved of God, and I don't think he's less loved of God, but he's certainly not walking with God at the end, right? And then the, the nation divides, north and south. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, he, he wants to show how tough he is, so he wants to tax the people more. Jeroboam, God tells Jeroboam, there's a division that occurs, right? Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. And God says to Jeroboam, he says, Jeroboam, if you will follow me, I'll bless you. And Jeroboam said... Well, okay, but uh, if uh, I'm afraid the people are going to go south to do worship in the temple, 
So I'm going to build two golden calves. And I'm going to keep the people up here to worship. So he puts one in Dan. And he puts one in... Where, what's the other one? It's the furthest south. Is it... It's not Ephraim. Who is it? So, I don't know. Anyways, the furthest south. You guys look it up. So, they have two places to worship on each end of the northern kingdom, right? But false worship. Golden calf, That does that remind you of anything? Golden calf's not a high point in their history, right? Oh, God delivered us. We crossed the Red Sea. Let's dance naked around a golden calf. That seems... And we'll give this golden calf all our praise, for that's the one who saved us. Right? You remember? Moses breaks the two commandments. I just want to make sure you guys are tracking with me here. So, so, uh, so Jeroboam does that. So God, he, he um, judges the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom goes into captivity to Assyria 150 years earlier. Now, at the time of Jeremiah, northern kingdoms in, in, uh, gone into captivity... They're gone. Those ten tribes are gone. All you have left is Judah in the south. Josiah, when he's, when he's eight years old, there's a priest named Hilkiah. Remember that name. It's going to come up in a couple verses. Hilkiah is looking around. He's a priest, and he's looking around the temple. You know, I don't know what they're doing. Sweeping, cleaning. And he finds the Bible. So, And the people are shocked because... I don't even know how long it's been, but they haven't had the Bible. So they have not been in any way obedient in the last umpteen years to to God and his plan. And Hilkiah takes that and he gets that to Josiah and Josiah reads it and says, Oh my gosh, we're so disobedient to God. And he begins this incredible revival through uh, Judah and the people repent and they tear down their idols and all the things, all the areas of false worship, they're coming down. So Josiah is like this great hero of the word. Josiah, when that, probably when they find the Bible uh, or the copies, the scrolls, when, when he's probably 16 and Jeremiah is probably 15. It's kind of cool how they interact, right? Jeremiah's dad, you guess what his name is? Hilkiah. I don't know if it's the same Hilkiah. It might not be. What's the matter? I got to use that one? Yeah. Oh, Lord have mercy on my soul. Dan and Bethel, see? I told you, one of you guys will find it. All right. I, I hate being stationary. Okay, I'll try to stand here and be good. All right, so, so I don't know. I can't. I can't say for for a certainty that Hilkiah. Is, it's just interesting, right? Jeremiah's dad's name's Hilkiah, and Hilkiah is a guy, and they're the same around the same period. So I can't definite for 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 definite say this is the same dad, but just interesting to me that that uh, if it wasn't, there's two Hilkiah priests who. And one of them has a son named Jeremiah, and the other one finds a scroll and gives it to, to Josiah. So, which leads to the revival of the people and their hearts changing. But then, we, if you if you remember Josiah, 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 people don't always listen to what God says, and sometimes we don't listen to what God says because of who says it to us. So, the Pharaoh—I don't remember his name. It'll come to me in a minute. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is going to war, and Josiah doesn't want him to go to war. So Josiah says, if you go to war, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to march out against you. And Pharaoh, the Pharaoh at the time, says to Josiah, the Lord has told me if you go out to war against me, you're going to die. I have no beef with you, Josiah. Just stay home. That's what Pharaoh tells him. So Josiah goes, well... I'll, I'll trick him. I will take off my robe and I'll dress like a normal guy. And I'll go to the battle. And a random arrow falls out of the sky and kills Josiah. And when Josiah dies, at his funeral, the whole 
the whole city is in mourning. Second Chronicles 35.25 says this, Jeremiah uttered a lament for Josiah. And all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah and their laments to this day. They made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they are written in the, in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah is good deeds according to what is written in the law of the Lord and his acts first and last. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and of Judah. So Jeremiah sang at his funeral. So just kind of want to lay down some of the background. Okay, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. Why? Because nobody ever listens to him. His whole ministry is about telling people, God's, this is God's judgment, lay down your swords and just let it happen. Accept your spanking. Nobody has to die. But Jeremiah also says, but if you pick up your swords, you're all going to die. Just lay them down. You've been disobedient. You've been idolatrous. You've, you've continued down this road. Josiah is like the last vestige of a good king. We're going to have a series of really bad ones coming up. And the people are going to go back into idolatry. And Jeremiah is saying, hey, we're, you're, you're, chapter 1, we're going to see Babylon coming on the horizon. So Jeremiah is going to be delivering that word. And just like so often is the case, right? We don't like to listen to what God's word says. We don't, especially if it if it affects us in something that that uh, I don't know we we don't like. If you, if you were here Sunday, you remember I said there's this thing. What if God, if you say you're a slave of Jesus Christ, and Jesus said you can't ever wear blue again, the response of a slave is, I'm never wearing blue again. So it doesn't matter what what the command is, does it? I mean, if, if I'm his slave, right? If I'm obedient to him, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things I say. So we, we want to be a people who are willing to walk in that obedience. And sometimes that costs us something, right? Sometimes the thing God is, that we see in God's word that's speaking to us is challenging or difficult or I don't really want to do it. I want to do that. But if he's our Lord, then then we want to walk in obedience. Now, everybody doesn't choose that. Sometimes we choose disobedience, right? Sometimes we sin with a high hand. I have sinned with a high hand. So did David. In fact, David cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, if there was an offering that I could give, I would give it. But there isn't one. You know, there's only one sin for which there's no offering. It's a sin with a high hand. What sin was he referring to? Bathsheba and killing Uriah, right? You don't get to commit premeditated murder and say that was an accident. So he's guilty, but but why is he forgiven? Because he bows before the Lord in humility and he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. I'm guilty before you, God. And he bowed before him with a broken heart and a broken spirit. And God said, forgiven. That's how that works, right? And so that's what Jeremiah is going to be calling the people to. Hey, repent, repent, repent. But they don't ever listen. So that will be the challenge uh, as we work our way through Jeremiah. This, uh, this chapter that we look at um, tonight... Um, fortunately it's small, so I should be able to get through it all, but, um, it's going to be what is his call. Just like Ezekiel, Isaiah before that, Isaiah, we read the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six. You remember Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up his train, filled the temple. Ezekiel, he sees the Lord on the enthroned on chariots, wheels within wheels, right? Fire. If you, if you've read Ezekiel, you'll remember that. Uh, this is Jeremiah's story for that. So it says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, 
It also it came also in the in the days of Jehoiakim, the next one, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah. That's the last king, right? He gets his eyes put out by Nebuchadnezzar, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So Jeremiah is going to go from Josiah's reign to the captivity. That's what Lamentations is about. Lamentations is, remember I told you Jeremiah sang at the funeral of Josiah? He's going to sing at the funeral of Jerusalem too. That's what Lamentations is. His, his song over, over Jerusalem. So again, you know, Hilkiah in Second Kings 22.8, it says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan reads it and gives it to Josiah. And Josiah reads it, and revival begins. So whether or not that's the same, it's awful close. Same time period, same city, same place. You know, most of the time, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, I just think it might be a duck. When we look at this receiving of the word of God... What does it mean when, when you see this phrase, uh, to whom the word of the Lord came? Most of the time when we think of that, we think of, you know, maybe the prophet is, is walking around and all of a sudden, a thought hits him. You know, and it's, oh, that must be from God. Well, maybe it's like that sometimes, but it's not like that this time. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. We remember that phrase? Well, let's take a look. It begins in verse 4. Now the Word of the Lord came to me. Is this just a thought? It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So in Jeremiah's call, the word of the Lord comes to him and it says, Before you were born, I already knew you. And the word for know is I knew everything about you. I've known your, what you're going to look like. I've known what you're going to act like. I know what your struggles are going to be. I know what your victories are going to be. I know you intimately every possible way that you could be known that a person could be known god is saying to jeremiah i know you i knew you before you were born before who formed him god says before i formed you before i put you together in the womb i knew you when was jeremiah a being At least when he was in the womb, right? God said, "I." how do you know something that's not a person? So, so it's only our world that has a hard time understanding that. What, what is a person, what's not a person? Uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrate. God had a plan for Jeremiah before he was born. Before he came out of the womb, God had a plan and he names it. You were my prophet to the nations. So he's a prophet to the to the Gentiles. He's a prophet to Judah. He's he's the guy. He's the guy. This one of the things I want us to understand is for the majority of the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, not like the way people think of prophets today. Those guys had a unique experience face to face with someone called the Word of God. Isaiah saw him, and John, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Isaiah saw me. So Jesus says, that, that was me in Isaiah 6, when it says, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Ezekiel saw the Lord sitting on his throne, his throne, the chariot throne of God. And it's described in Ezekiel 1. He saw him and received his declaration to be a prophet from the lips of God. Old Testament prophets didn't just get an idea and start telling people. 
They had an encounter with the true and living God. And then they did what they were told. That's what the prophets of old did. I watched a movie one time on Abraham, one of the ones Hollywood did, uh, you know, some, some, you know, they always use English actors, right? I don't, I'm not sure why, but was an English actor playing, playing Abraham and, and he's, and it's the call of Abraham, right? Where Abraham's being called and they got him out in the wilderness. He's walking, you know, and this is how they're filming it. And all of a sudden he, he starts going like this. And then he starts acting like a crazy person covering his ears. Oh, you know, and then he flops around and then eventually he says, okay. And I'm like, what in the heck was that? <laughs> what, what he got? That's how God talked to him. It was like it was like a schizophrenic episode, you know, where where I'm hearing voices and now I want to be obedient to the voices. Why? Why would you be obedient to the voice in your head? I would definitely be obedient to the being standing in front of me. And. And the reason I believe that is because as we look, especially as we look at Jeremiah, we're going to see it. Okay, so God's saying, you're, you're my prophet. Okay, then verse 6. And I said, uh, Lord God, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. We've heard that before too, right? Remember who said they didn't know how to speak? It's my favorite line in the Prince of Egypt. Who made man's mouth, right? I wish I could do that. that that's... It gives me the chills every time I hear it. Yeah, so he's, he's using the same thing. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Let's put it into our, our concept, okay? Let's say that, that God, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, appears before you. You're looking at him. You see him. He says to you, hey, I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I want you to go to Congress. And I want you to declare my word before them. You, just like Jeremiah, might say, I don't really know how to do that, God. I don't, I don't even know where I'm supposed to go stand or what I'm supposed to go do. How do I get an audience with the king? You, you understand? There's a, there's a lot of things to it we don't always think about. But it's like, well, I, 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 Lord, I don't, know what to, I don't know how to do this. Perfect. And you're just right. Right? Because what God wants is a person who's willing to walk according to his spirit and, and then do the things as as the spirit leads. Be obedient. I don't know how to do it, but, it, you know, God, whatever. You put me in front of them and I'll, I'll say the words. Right? So it's like that. This is, the, this is his word to the Lord, but listen to what God says. God says, don't say I'm only a youth. If God, if the call of God is on your life and the power of God is within you, then I can do most things through, is that how it goes? I can do some things, how's it go? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yeah? For we are almost conquerors, is that how it goes? For soon we, we might be able to conquer, no, what's it say? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? He's, the Lord says, don't, don't say, I'm, I'm only a youth, I'm just a kid, I, I don't know how to do this. For to all to whom I send you, you will go, and whatever I command you, you will speak. Now, this is where the story Levi shared... Um, was that a few Sundays ago when he talked about the story of Samuel, right? The call. And that whole I just love that whole story because I love what Eli told Samuel to say. And, and that's what God's telling Jeremiah to say. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. I will do what you say. I will go where you send me. Right? These are some of, some of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. This is what... This is what Ruth said to Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Uh, your people will be my people. Where, where you die, I'll die, and there I will be buried. It's you and me till the wheels fall off, right? I'm, I am utterly surrendered to and committed to you. These are the things. This is the way. That's, that's what is going to happen when Ruth meets Boaz. That's what's going to happen with Jeremiah. Don't say you're a youth. I'm with you. Do you got to be afraid? 
You will be. You don't think Moses was ever afraid when he was walking up in front of Pharaoh who everybody in the, in the nation of Egypt said he was God? You don't think he's a little freaked out about that? When the guy who everybody around says is God is jumping up and yelling at you, you don't think he's a little freaked out? Yeah, I'm sure it was. It, you don't think there was anxiousness involved? Moments of tension? Anybody experience moments of tension in life? Yeah. And we all say, oh, I, I wish the moments of tension would go away. But they don't. It's just part of life. But having God with us makes those moments of, of tense times bearable, especially if we're being obedient to him. We're doing what he's asking us to do. So he says, hey, don't, don't be afraid of them, because I am with you to deliver you. So let me, this is what he says to Jeremiah. Look, Jeremiah, they're going to beat you, and they're going to throw you in pits, and they're going to spit in your face, and they're going to call you names, but I will not let them kill you until it's time for you to be with me. Now, you like that promise? That's what it means when the Lord says, I will deliver you. Where do you think he's delivering you to? He's delivering you to him. It's not, he'll deliver me through all the pain of life. Well, yes, he will, but not the way you think. He'll deliver, he'll deliver me from, no, he'll deliver you through. And he will deliver you to stand before him. Where Jude 24 and 25 says, is his great pleasure, right? To present you, to keep you from falling, to stop you from stumbling, and to present you perfect before the Father. He says, that's, that, that's what he means when he says, I will deliver you. Right? We need to, we need to understand that, because sometimes we want to paint the picture like, I, if I trust my life to Christ, I'll never be sick, I'll never have pain, I'll never have sorrow. Well, I don't, I, don't, I'm, I don't know where you get that. I can't find a prophet who didn't have pain, sickness, and sorrow. Can you? You find an apostle who didn't have it? The people who were closest to Jesus, what happened to them? Uh, come on. Look at God the Father, what happened to his son. That's the road. The promise is God saying, I will deliver you. You're, you're going to get to me. Now look what happens. This is the part I really want you to see. Then the Lord put out his, what? Is there someone there? Or is this just a thought? Does the thought touch you? Does the thought touch your lip? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and stood in front of him and looked into his eyes. And the word that stood in front of Jeremiah was Jesus Christ. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I'm here. And he touches him, he reaches out his hand and he touched his mouth. And the Lord said, behold, I put my words in your mouth. Now, sometimes you got to say things you don't want to say. Right? Sometimes you got to say things you don't want to say. Sometimes you're like, ah, I just don't want, I don't, I'm so tired of conflict. Can, we, can all the conflict just go away? No, because what you tolerate, you encourage. So you have to be bold, and you have to be courageous, and you have to, in love, speak the truth. And people will hate you for it. So what? Jesus said they hated me too. Jesus said John came and he didn't touch wine. He lived an ascetic lifestyle. He was as, as separated as anybody can be. And everyone said he was crazy. Right? They didn't listen to the truth. Spoke in love. Jesus came and he... He drank and he hung out with the sinners and they called him a wine-bibber and a sinner. So it didn't matter which way they lived. Do you get that? It didn't matter which way they lived. People didn't listen any better. Drink with them. If, you're, if you speak the truth, they ain't going to like you. It don't matter. Don't drink with them. 
speak the truth, they're not going to like you. They cut off John the Baptist's head, they crucified Jesus. What about the rest of the apostles? How'd that work out? Right? They all die, right? They all get put to death. Two of them get crucified. Several of them beaten to death. They tried to kill John so many times, John just outlived them all. Tradition says he's boiled in oil and it didn't kill him. So I don't know which guy got off better. I think it'd be better to die if you get boiled in oil than to live. But that's just me. All of these guys, all of these things, what did they do? The word of God, God said, I put my word in your mouth. Now you go speak it. Speak the truth in love. Go. I put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow to build and to plant. That's interesting, right? Jeremiah's whole ministry is going to be about death and destruction because nobody listens. But God says you've got the opportunity to build and to plant. When the people are being are going into slavery and they're they're crying and they're saying this can't be God's will, you know, Jeremiah twenty nine, the one the verse everybody likes to put on their fridge. That, that we remove from the fact that they're all in chains and they're separated from their families and moms will never see their children again and husbands will never see their wives again and they're all going into slavery and the prophet brings the word of the Lord to them and says, hey, wait a minute. Know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future. Doesn't feel like a future. Right? You get the idea? But it was a future. It was their future. It's a future that they're going to bring. It's a future that they're going to they're going to have, right? Because the Lord's going to say, "Seek me, and you will find me." When you seek me with all your heart, I'm I'm still here. God saying, "I'm," and I still have seventy years. You're going to come back. Seventy years, and you'll be back. So the Lord says, "I'm I've, I'm sending you for this." And the word of the Lord came to me. So hopefully, you'll see that in a new way now. And the word of the Lord came to me. And he said, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah said, I I see an almond branch. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The almond tree, the, the symbol of the almond branch or the almond tree was known as the watcher or the waker. What does that mean? It's the first tree to bloom in the coming of spring. So the almond tree was like the tree that woke up first. And then called the rest of the trees to wake up. So God is saying, Jeremiah, you're my almond tree. You're the first one I'm waking up. Go wake up the rest of the people. Wake them up. Call them to wake up. Call them to to come to me. The word of the Lord came to me a second time. What do you see? I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. The boiling pot. This is going to come up again. The boiling pot is Babylon. Whenever the enemy, a judgment was coming against the nation of Israel, you know what direction it came from? North. So if God said something's happening in the north, that meant judgment's coming. And you usually have time. You have time until whatever is beginning to boil in the north gets here. If we can work out this whole concept of repentance, right? You get what I'm saying? But... No repentance, what happens? No repentance equals judgment. What happens in our life? We, we cannot remove ourselves from the... Oops, I'm moving. We cannot remove ourselves from the idea that repentance is a part of our life. Right? This was my point on Sunday when I said God doesn't have to forgive you. You don't have some contract with him. You, you, you pray to prayer and you ask Lord Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And if that's true, then you will repent. Are you with me? 
But there's no, there's no automatic clause that just says, if I live a life of sinfulness for 13 years, God will just automatically forgive me. Who said that? You got a Bible in front of you. It took me 10 years to get here. You spend some time in there and find it. That where God owes you forgiveness. But if you repent, what does God say? I will forgive. If you come before the Lord with a broken heart, right? Isn't that what David did? Broken heart, contrite spirit. What did God do? Forgave him. And when David was wandering in his sin, and he was just happy to be in his sin, and he's cool, I got Bathsheba, she's hot, I got a, uh, uh, she's going to have a baby, I got away with it, Uriah's dead, everything's good. Did God leave him like that? What did he send? Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet came and told David a story. You remember the story? About the little lamb. This fellow had just one lamb, only one. This other guy had as many lambs. He, 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 he had millions of lambs. He could have any lamb he wanted. But he went over there and killed that guy and took his lamb. Can you believe that? What should we do to him, David? Remember what David said? Kill him. Bring him to me. I'll kill him myself. And Nathan said... You are the man. I have put my word in your mouth so that you will stand before kings and speak truth. And when we speak truth, what happens? What did David do? Immediately, David's on his face. And he repented, right? His heart is broken. And God says, look, you've caused the, the nations to blaspheme my name because of your actions. You've ruined the life of Joab. Joab is never going to uh, be okay again after this. He's going to rebel against your kids. There's, there's, there's just no end to the, to the fallout from this decision that you've made, David. It's going to be bloody. The sword will never depart your family. And your baby's going to die. And David still said, forgive me, Lord, I'm sorry. There are consequences to the choices we make, right? Things happen that we don't, we don't even know how all the dots connect, but they connect. But just because those things connect, does that mean we're not forgiven? The key to forgiveness is what? Repent. So Jeremiah is going to call the nation to repent. What is it that Christians ought to be calling our nation to? Repent. Repent. You've slaughtered 60 million unborn babies. And you send emissaries around the world to do it everywhere around the world. Repent. You're confusing people and children and teaching them the sin and teaching them lies of the world that things are okay that are not okay. Repent. Jesus said, it's better that you put a millstone around your neck and jump into the ocean than you teach one of these little ones to sin. See, I have touched your lips and put my word in your mouth. Speak. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. We don't, so don't be offended. I, I, I'm actually, Trump's starting to grow on me. So anytime somebody spits at somebody over and over again and never stops, I start to root for them because, like, you know, you're being a butthead, but we don't need Trump. We need repentance. We need national repentance. Unless we do as a nation what Assyria did. Remember Jonah? Jonah walked into Assyria and said, 40 days, God's going to kill you all. Bunch of dirty, good-for-nothing people. And then he went up on a hill to watch their destruction. And the king was struck to the heart, and he took off his royal robes, and he put on sackcloth and ashes, and all the people followed him in an act of contrition and repentance before the God of heaven, and he forgave them all. That's what we need. That's not what the Republican Party is offering you. 
That's not what the Democratic Party, that's not what any party is offering you. God said, see, I have touched your lips. I've put my word within you. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. God's looking for his people to stand up and be accountable to him. Speak the truth. How? In love. That's kind of an important part, right? Yeah. Speak the truth in love. Call the people to repent. Repent. This is going to be the job of, of Jeremiah. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. They shall come. Everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in what? Forsaking me. Look, there's lots of sin we commit all the time. What brings God's judgment is forsaking Him. Look, we're all sinners. We all mess up. We all screw up. And hopefully we're, we're willing to own up and say to confess our sin to the Lord. What's the Bible say if we do that? Confess your sin to the Lord and He will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we should be men and women who are living a life of confession before God for our, for our failures. That, that's what a Christian does. He doesn't have a magic stamp that just lets him sin. He lives a life of confession before God. But because we as a nation have forsaken God, we are under judgment. I have no doubt about that. We are under judgment. And one day, from the north will come somebody to camp at our gates. It'll come. But God is calling us. He always, with every nation under judgment, He always gives them the same out. Right? Repent. Turn to me. I will forgive. Jonah said, God, I knew you were going to do that. You're such a forgiving God. That's not how most people view the God of the Old Testament, is it? Well, why did Jeremiah have such a messed up view then? Maybe Jeremiah didn't have a messed up view. Maybe we do. Maybe God's more forgiving than we give him credit for. He will punish sin. That will happen. He says, they have forsaken me. That's it. That's the deal. They don't want to know me. They don't want to seek me. They don't care about me. So God is going to bring judgment. They have made offerings to other gods, worship the works of their own hand. They're wicked, they're wayward, and they have false worship. There. Judgment has come. So he says to Jeremiah, verse 17, But you, dress yourself for work. Arise. Say to them everything I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. Don't, don't be afraid of them. Jeremiah, don't be afraid of them. I'm the one you ought to be afraid of. You don't need to be afraid of them. I, I, I don't want to have to teach you, Jeremiah, that you don't have to be afraid of them. You need to be afraid of me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the beginning of wisdom and I behold I make you this day so here's what God's promise to Jeremiah I make you a fortified city an iron pillar with bronze walls against the whole world do you not hear what he's saying between the lines Jeremiah you're going to be the one guy you're, it's you against the world one against the world, Jeremiah. They're all going to come against you, but I'm going to make you an iron pillar. 
I'm going to make you a fortified wall. You're not going to fall. You're not going to stumble. You'll stand. They're going to try to tear you down, but you're going to make it all the way to the end because I will be with you. So if you are the only one who will stand, will God use you? How many people does he need? One. Just one. He says, dress for work. I'm going to use you. You're going to stand against the whole land. That's the whole land, right? And kings of Judah and their officials and their priests and the people of all the land. Everybody, Jeremiah, is going to hate you. Sorry, brother. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail. Why? Because I'm with you. I will deliver you. So here's God's promise to Jeremiah. Everybody's going to hate you. You're the only one. All the priests are going to be against you. All the courts are going to be against you. All the kings are going to be against you. But you won't fail. Because I'm with you. And I'm going to deliver you to my presence. So just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And Jeremiah is going to quit once. <laughs> I don't know for how long. It's not very long. He throws all his stuff in the mud one day and says, I quit! And then he says, the fire of the Lord burned in my belly. I couldn't stop. So, so this is Jeremiah. This is the challenge of Jeremiah. And I think it's apropos for our time because this is our world. It's just like this world, right? We've, we've had revivals. We've had you know, highs and lows in our history, but we're in a very, very low time right now. Jesus said in Ephesians, I've given to the church gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So he's, he's provided that. There's no big P prophets or big A apostles. Nobody gets an office anymore. Nobody's in charge enough to tell us a new book in the Bible, right? It's, that's all finished. But he is saying, I've touched your lips and put my word in you. Speak. And we need to be like young Samuel. When God's word, when the word of the Lord comes to us, we need to say, speak, Lord, your servant hears, and I will go where you send me. And I don't know how I'll say whatever I got to say, but Lord, make me bold. And God says, I'll deliver you. Yeah, though they hate you, I'll deliver you. You will arrive safe at home. The person who doesn't enter into the battle, the one who doesn't go to war, he's the one that sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. But if we go to battle, going to be okay. Amen? It's a call to battle. Let's answer the call. Let's go before the Lord and pray. Why don't you stand with me? Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity that we have to study your word. Lord, I thank you for the book of Jeremiah. I'm excited to, to open it up and be challenged by it and to, uh, and to, to walk together in it with, uh, with Jeremiah. Lord, I pray that we might make application of the things that are going on in Jeremiah's life that, uh, that, that appeal to us for our day. Because, Lord, you said in 1 Corinthians 10, these things that are written for us are written for our admonition to teach us, to say to us now, how, how, what are you going to do? It's your time now. There's not a Jeremiah coming. It's your time. It's my time. It's our time. It's our nation that is uh, uh, plunging into sin and debauchery more every day. It's our state it's the towns around us. It's unbelievable. So what will we do? What you tolerate, you encourage. But if I say something, they'll hate me. Well, don't be afraid of them, the Lord says. You should be afraid of me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things...
I say. Lord, may we understand, God, that every time judgment comes, it begins in the house of the Lord because you ask us to to look within ourselves and say, am I really surrendered to Christ? Am I surrendered to Him? Do I I want to walk in obedience to what He's asking of me? Oh, He's not asking probably any of us to to go to Congress and stand there and, and bear witness, but He might be asking us to go to our neighbor or the people who work for us or the people we work for or a family or... In fact, you don't have to have me tell you what it is. You already know. It's been bugging you anyway. And you wrestle with the idea of, is this God telling me to do this? Or is this me? And I don't know what to do, Lord. And we sound just like Jeremiah. Lord, I don't know what to say. So God said to him, I have touched your lips. You have read my word. You have my word within you. Go. I promise my spirit will be with you. He'll lead you, and He'll give you the word to say. And then, you will feel the victory of having been a man or woman of God standing in the gap. Lord, we pray you would exhort, we your people, these things, sometimes they begin small. So we will not despise the day of small beginnings, but we will pray, Lord, that you bring repentance to our nation that you use us as your voice and that we might learn from the example laid out before us by Jeremiah the prophet. So God, be glorified and magnified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.